Hey guys, welcome back to the Authentic Uma podcast. I'm excited to be on here. And today we're looking at the standing position in our salah. So let's get straight into it. I remember that when I was at madrasa and in my early days of going to madrasa and being that regular normal kid, the one who after school would come home, have lunch, get ready for going to madrasa and meeting all the students at madrasa and then learning about Islam, right? The so-called Islam, what they were teaching at the madrasa. So that was me. And back in the day, I would just listen to whatever my Molanas had told me. I would just listen to whatever I was being told by my parents, by my brother, by my teachers at Madrasa, the Molanas. And I would never question why I did something in terms of religion. I would never question why we would do it in that specific way. Because I now know that in Islam, the way we judge things is not by whatever our Molana tells us or whatever our parents tell us. That's not what religion is and that's not what Islam is and that's not what religion is about. In order for us to understand any religion, we have to look at the sources and the scriptures because in the scriptures is where we find the true sense of that particular religion. So in the example of Islam, we have the Quran and then we have the books of Hadith such as Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Sunan Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah and the other few books. Today I know that those are the scriptures which you need to refer to. Whenever there's an issue on religion, whenever there's a dispute, we need to refer back to the sources of these religions. So that's the example for the religion of Islam. Then if you go into Christianity or Judaism, we have the Bible. And the Bible has got a New Testament as well as an Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the Jewish scripture and the New Testament is the Christian scripture. So those are the original scripture. The word Bible basically just means a book of books because the word Bible is a Greek word. And so if you translate it into an English term, it would be a book of books like a library. So that's the example of Christianity. Then in Hinduism, you've got the Vedas and the Upanishads. Those two books are the highest in authority. They are considered God's word. To Hindus, the Vedas and the Upanishads are books considered to be God's word, meaning they are, you know, they are the highest in authenticity. Then you've come a step lower and you've got other books like the Bhagavad Gita, the Puranas, and there are many other scriptures as well in the religion of Hinduism. So that is the example of Hinduism. Then you have different books in the religion of Buddhism and Sikhism. All these major religions of the world, they have got scriptures. And the way to judge is to go back to the scriptures. So in the case of us Muslims, it's important that we go to our scriptures. And this is not something which I was taught at Madrasa. The relationships between me and the Mulanas got really bad and really tense. And after that, I dropped out of madrasa. I didn't want to have anything to do with madrasa. And then fast forward a few years, I've attained all this knowledge about religion, all this knowledge about Islam and what it is and the true essence of what the religion is. So coming back to the standing position in our salah. So while I was at madrasa, I was never really taught about how to pray the exact method of offering our salah. The only thing I can remember was being told what to do and then just following it. So if they told us to say Allahu Akbar, right, for beginning the prayer, saying the takbir, I would just say it. 
And then when they start to say, recite Surah Fatiha, then I'd recite Surah Fatiha, then I'd recite another Surah after it. And you know, I'll just do whatever they told me. So that was how it was like at Madresa. But today I know a lot more about it. And today I know that the standing position in our Salah, it was actually described to us very well in the books of Hadith. And I don't recall a single day at Madrasa when we were taught these hadiths or we were taught to read the hadith books or anything like that. And so after realizing this, it really struck me how little I learned from Madrasa about Islam, which is kind of the main purpose of going to Madrasa. It's to learn about Islam and religion. In those days, I would just go and offer my salah with my dad and my brother at the mosque. And we would only go for Jumma salah. We would never go for anything else besides Jumma, except if it was Ramadan, in which case my dad would try to get all the Salahs in, except for Fajr, because you know, most people, they don't offer the Fajr prayer, because the Fajr prayer is something which a lot of people find very difficult. And so I remember that when we were going for this one Jumma prayer on Friday, I remember that I was around six, seven, maybe eight years old at that time, and I remember going into the mosque and then because I didn't really understand what we did at the mosque, I was never really taught what to do at the mosque. I would go to the mosque and just see all these people being together in that area. And then after a while, everybody would stand up and I would wonder like, okay, what's going on right here, right? These guys would stand up and they would straighten up the rows. They'd stand very close to one another. And then there would be someone on the mic who would say, Allahu Akbar. And so after a few times of going for the Jumma and hearing that, eventually one Jumma, I went and I didn't want to do any of that. So what I did was I just sat there and my dad didn't really say anything. Like I was, I was so surprised that day because all the other Jummas, I would properly be standing. And this one time I just decided to sit and I didn't want to stand to pray. Every time I was sick, my dad would kind of give us leeway, right, me and my brother, with regards to not going to madrasa. So every time we'd like feel sick or act sick, that's something which we used to do a lot. Whenever we did that, my dad would like let us go. He'd let us off the hook. He'd say, okay, you don't have to go. He did that only a couple of times, not always. But he was less strict as compared to my mom. So anyway, here I was in the Juma day and everyone around me is standing and I remember just observing, looking up, me being this small kid, eight years old, and I'm the only one sitting down in the congregation, which is happening on the Friday prayer, and I'm looking up and seeing all these people. And I'm seeing all these people and most of them are looking straight down on the mat. I remember seeing this and thinking to myself that, wow, these guys are so serious. They must be doing something really, really important. And so that was kind of one of my experiences at the Juma prayer. And me just looking up and seeing all these people having their arms folded, it really struck me a lot because from then on, I was like, these guys are serious. All the people in this room doing this exact one thing, this must be some kind of serious, serious gathering. Now, I'm eight years old now. I don't know what's happening. I don't know the value of prayer, why prayer should be performed, why all these people are here. I have no idea what these guys are doing. But it really struck me. That moment really, really struck me. Another thing I observed was that most of these people were having different hand placements. So some people were folding their hands underneath their navel. 
just like how my dad and brother would do it and how we were taught at madrasa. Then I'd see other people who'd have their hands folded and they would be gripping their forearm. They would literally be gripping their forearm like next to the elbow they would be gripping that so i'd see people do that now my my dad and my brother and in madrasa we were taught the same thing but we were not taught to go like really far next to our elbow we were taught just to go a bit before that and that that was the only way so i would observe this being that 8 year old kid that wow some people are putting their hands right next to their elbow other people are putting it below their navel other people are putting it high above on their chest and this was something which i was like wow okay so they are all doing this thing together but there are slight differences in the little things which they're doing fast forward a few years and today i know that the correct position is to put it on your chest and to put your right arm over your left arm and sometimes putting your right palm over your left palm wrist and forearm and i realized that the prophet peace be upon him he would be interchangeable with regards to how he placed his hands but he would definitely put it on his chest that is the more correct opinion now another story i want to get into is when i was at madrasa and every time at the end of the year of madrasa we would have something known as a jalsa now i don't know why they called it that but it was called a jalsa and at the jalsa it would be some kind of acting show or some kind of performance which we do on stage and it would be held at a sports club so it would be like a big area where we can gather an audience and so after the end of the year of madrasa every classroom had some kind of skit some kind of acting performance which they had to do some of them was acting some of them was just reciting the quran there were a few variations in the things which they did on stage and they would call the parents in and the parents would sit in this hall and then each class would come up and do a performance and after the performance was done they would have an award ceremony so people who did really well in the madrasa class they would get up on stage and they would receive this award super exciting super super exciting i remember in my early years i used to get prizes so often so so often i remember getting second position and another time third position and then getting an award for the most disciplined child so these were in my early early years of madrasa i used to love it because i would go in the madrasa i would learn so hard so well and i would crush the exams i would totally beat the exam and i was always a hard worker so i remember one day we were doing this jalsa practice and in that practice we were just uh, singing a nashdeed now at the time i really didn't know what i was doing and what the purpose of all of it was because after all it was some kind of singing right and i remember that during my school years at the same time we would have drama and acting classes and we would sing sometimes So I kind of related that school stuff to what I'm doing here when I'm on stage when I'm doing my rehearsals with the class. And so we all had our formation. Some people would be standing, other people would be kneeling down, and other people would be standing on blocks. So I remember being the person who was just standing. And I remember the way we had to stand was we would have to put our right hand over our left hand and put it under our navel. Now this struck a lot of resemblance with me because I remember that that's how we were taught how to offer our salah we were taught how to offer it by folding our hands below our navel so when I'm doing this jalsa immediately in my mind I'm thinking oh this is what we do in salah so in this jalsa practice 
there was a lot of resemblance with our salah and how we were taught how to offer our salah. So there was this one day at the rehearsals when my left hand was over my right hand and I would stand like that. And then I remember Mulana seeing me and then he came to me and he ripped them apart and he put my right hand over my left hand. And so that moment really, really left in my mind the fact that this is what we do in Salah and this must be how we should do it if it's sacred. And so I immediately associated this position with Salah and anything which we do in our worship. This moment really stuck with me throughout my early years of going to Madrasa. But now I know that that has actually got nothing to do with worship. Just because you put your right hand over your left hand doesn't have any significance in terms of worship. And that's something which I've learned a few years after that incident. Now there is another incident which relates to this and that incident is the incident which happens at a local mosque. Now one of the mosques locally over here, whenever they'd finish the Juma prayer, they would stand and they would give a nashdeed. Now similarly in our Jalsa, we call these nashdeeds and there would be some kind of singing, right? It would be like everybody raises their voices and they, you know, say these things in a rhythmic tone. It's a song, right? You're singing. And so whenever I'd hear that, I'd be like, whoa, this is so cool, they're singing something, right? These were my early years. So I had no idea what was happening. All I knew was that this tune really sounds good and I like what they're doing here. Everyone's coming together and stuff like that. Little did I know that that is actually the wrong thing to do and it's it's not correct to do, especially after the Juma prayer. So every time after Juma prayer, they would get together, there would be someone on the mic and they would start singing. And the people behind them would all stand up and they would have their hands folded over each other just like they do when they offer their salah. So now I realize that that's actually not the right thing to do because that's not what the Prophet peace be upon him had done. And it's not mentioned in any of the Hadith books that such a thing was done by the Prophet or his companions. May Allah be pleased with them all. Another thing about the standing position which I learned was that some people raise their hands before going for the bowing position. And the positioning of the hands themselves also had a difference. So for example, some people would put their thumbs behind the earlobes. Like that's what my dad would teach me and what my brother would you know, also teach me. And also what the madrasa would teach me. They would teach me that the way to say takbir, to say Allah Akbar, to start the prayer, is by putting your thumbs behind your ears and then saying Allahu Akbar. And that was the only way to do it. They didn't give me any reference for that. They just said, this is how you do it. And me being a student, I'd be like, okay, sure, no problem. Let me do that as well. Let me just copy it. So whenever I'd go for this Juma prayer, I would see that the people around me, some are doing this. Other people are just raising it to their ear height. Other people to their shoulder height. They're not touching their earlobes. And so it really struck me whenever that happened. I would always ask myself, okay, who's right? Who's got the right answer for me? Because you're saying this, the other guy's saying this, and this guy's doing this. So who has got the right answer? And then a few years later, after doing my research, after understanding Islam better, Alhamdulillah, and praise be to Allah, my knowledge increasing, I now realize that the way the Prophet did it, peace be upon him, was to raise them either to his earlobe height or to his shoulder height. And this is proven in the authentic hadiths. And it is not correct to touch your earlobes because that's not something which was reported by the Prophet, peace be upon him.
So that was another thing which I noticed in the standing position. Some people would raise their hands up to that. And then to add on to that, some people would raise their hands again before going for the bowing position, before going for ruku. And it really amazed me because the madrasa and my friends at school and madrasa, they would tell me that what these other guys are doing is incorrect. They are wrong. They are completely wrong. They are following a different imam. So in my head, I was like, oh, okay, cool. They're right. They're wrong. They're wrong. We're the right ones. And that was going through my mind. But little did I know that you are meant to love and respect all of the great imams. And all they did was to bring us closer to the Prophet's way, peace be upon him. Now, I have done previous episodes where I talk about the sayings of the four great imams. May Allah have mercy on them all. You should go and listen to those because it's super, super beneficial for you. So I was told by my friends and by my molanas and by my parents that they are following a different imam. Now, when I heard that, I was I was like, oh, okay, you're right. There's nothing I can do, right? But then that's not the answer because the only way I progressed was after finding that somebody else was also questioning the same way I questioned and then they found the answer. So one of the personalities who helped me do that was Dr. Zakir Naik and he is a student of comparative religion and he's studied the religious scriptures. And so he kind of inspired me to go and search for the answers. You know, don't blind follow. Don't follow because your dad is a Muslim. Don't follow because your brother is following. Don't follow because your Molana tells you that. Okay, don't do that. It's something which I'm against. Always, always question what you are doing in terms of your worship. Ask yourself, is this what the Prophet, peace be upon him, had done? I give you full permission to go and question. Is this what the Prophet, peace be upon him, had done? Because that's all that matters. The question in your grave, one of the questions in your grave is going to be, what did you do with my Prophet, peace be upon him? As in, what did you do with his message? Did you take his message? Right? You have to go and find that message, go and find what it was, go and learn what the Prophet taught you. Don't learn from your father or your brother. Go and learn from the scriptures, from the sources, and take the understanding of the great scholars who have done the work for us. And so I realized that actually when you're going in for the bowing position for the ruku, it is part of the Prophet's way, peace be upon him, to raise your hands. And this really struck me because I'm the only one in my family and I feel I'm the only one in the community who's done research on this stuff and who's actively gone out to search for the answers. And I suggest you guys do the same thing as well. Go and find out what is the correct way to do things. A good resource you can use is islamqa.info. Always get great answers from there, fully referenced. And that's my go-to place whenever I have a question about Islam and you know worship and anything about Islam. So with that being said, guys, I'll speak with you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.